Hey, everyone. Before we get into the usual flow of the show, I want to do another countdown highlight to the Unburdened Leaders 100 episode, which I am so excited about. And I'm so grateful for all of you who've been following along from the beginning, in addition to those who are newer. And I just want to encourage you all, if you have not yet, to leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts and to share an episode that's been particularly meaningful to you with a few folks. This really does help us get the word out. But I am really excited to have been on this journey, and it's remarkable to think about doing something, gosh, it's been well over 100 hours of conversations and prep and meetings and research and um, and the privilege to be able to do that and the privilege that uh, so many of you have taken the time to listen. So that means so much. And so thank you for listening and joining me on this countdown to episode 100. There were so many decisions I made because the company was built around a certain lifestyle. And I realized that really wasn't going to serve me through the goals that had shifted in my life. Have you ever felt like what you're known for doesn't fit you anymore? Or maybe it feels like it's time to change your professional focus, but you question whether you have the credentials or whether people will take seriously the shifts that you want to make. Now, based on the number of times I hear these sentiments from my clients, my colleagues, and my friends, and even felt them myself on occasion, I suspect you can relate to at least some aspect of these questions. And I'm struck by the angst many of us go through when we want to change things up in our work and life. Now, I know from my training and experiences with my clients, we change as we move through life. This is part of our developmental life cycle. And when we change, so does our work and the businesses we run as a result. And yet the expectations from culture, family, and peers feels doubt that often keeps people from moving in a different direction at a great cost. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with humans who navigate life's challenges and lead in their own ways. Our goal is to learn how they address the burdens they carry, how they learn from them, and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. In my graduate studies, I learned about Eric Erickson's psychosocial developmental life cycle of the individual. And my program, which is very systems focused, also integrated this individual approach to learning within a systems focused lens on the life cycle of the individual as a contributor within the systems in which they live and work. And both of these lenses normalize change across the life cycle. It's just normal. And while the need to modernize some of these stages to reflect the expanded look of what really encompasses what we call a family and the need to move beyond some very dated views on gender norms, there are aspects that still hold true today and offer important insights for all of us in how we lead ourselves and our businesses. Even businesses have stages of development, right? Which makes sense because they're run by people. And while it's important to not fall into formulaic approaches to these natural stages of change, I wish we had more overt supports in place to normalize both the inevitable growing pains that come up for us as individuals and also as a part of the systems in which we live, work, 
and learn. Now, Erickson's theory normalizes the inevitable crisis that comes up when you start to move from one stage to the next. And Erickson's theory states it's mostly in how you navigate this crisis and transition, which will impact your health and the impact you have on those around you. Now, if we normalize and had better supports for these inevitable seasons of growth, the understandable grief and loss around what we shed and the vulnerability of moving towards something new, especially when the stakes feel high, I feel like so many would feel less shame and fear about making shifts in our work and how we live our lives. But I I don't know, maybe this might be for those of us of a certain age, but I feel like I still hear it um, from a lot of folks at different seasons of life, that the pressure to stay on this linear path professionally, academically, does not match up with the fact that our lives are dynamic and ever-changing. And our mental well-being and business well-being suffer because of the lack of understanding and how we grow and change personally, which in turn impacts how we lead ourselves, others, and our businesses. Now, it makes sense what worked for us years ago may not fit us anymore. And those developmental theories support this experience. Now, if you love what you've done over the years and don't see a need to change anything, great. But I suspect you've made shifts and tweaks as you grow personally, mature in your skills, and evolve in how you see yourself in the world. Okay, so when I received an email from a longtime friend and colleague to her community sharing how she low-key silently shut down her business a few months earlier and how she's shifting her focus from what she was known for her whole adult life to something new, I knew I had to have her on the podcast for a deeper dive into her process personally and in how she did this in her amazing business. Bridget Lyons is the founder of Podcast Ally, the agency where she spent her days focusing on the strategic direction of the company while clearing the way for a fully remote team to do the deep work that drove the business forward. Now, Bridget recently announced that she shut down her company, as I just stated, and right before we recorded our conversation, I found out she's accepted an offer to sell the brand and IP she built at Podcast Ally. She has an extensive background in public relations, working in agencies, and also running her own PR businesses. So, you know, she's legit and has so many experiences, but I really want you to listen for when Bridget talks about the space she took to discern what was going on within her and within her business and the role burnout played in this clarifying process. Notice when Bridget talked about how much she loved her team loved her company, but how she realized she was indifferent about the actual work they were doing and what she did with this information. And pay attention to how Bridget finally realized the business and life she built did not fit her anymore, thanks to a really wise conversation with her mom, and how that brought clarity in her decision and process for shutting down her company and moving towards what fits her today. Now, please welcome Bridget Lyons to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Bridget, welcome. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here to talk to you, Rebecca. So you recently shared with your community that you quietly shut down your podcast booking agency, Podcast Ally, a few months ago. 
I have to be honest with you. I read that email probably a half a dozen times. Like I kept going through my own experiences of making changes and hearing what you shared and thinking of all the people that I know and I work with that are in the middle of wondering and the what ifs and in a world that's so visible, you know, and everyone's sharing all the things all the time and having known you, gosh, it's, I've known you for several years now, knowing you are such a person of integrity and integrity and someone I see with a lot of talent. I just kept like, I almost was having conversations with that email. I was like, I wonder about this. And I wonder, and I'm like, okay. So that's when I slipped into your inbox of like, do you want to come on the show? Because I I knew you're still in the middle of all of this. And so I, you know, I want to get into the why behind the, 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 the decision, but I want to also start with just the thought process that led to this big decision of closing down a successful business. So like on one hand, you know, I'd love for you to share like what you were thinking if you kept your business going, what would that have looked like and what would the challenges be? And on the other hand, what were you thinking? What would that look like as you started to think about shutting it down and what challenges came up there? So please share. <laughs> A little light and yes. breezy stuff. <laughs> Easy question to answer, right? right? <laughs> well, this process of thinking through what it might be like to shut down the company started almost, I would say about 10 months, so almost a full year before I ultimately made the decision, and then quite some time before I actually announced it to everyone after the fact. And I think we've all been in a position where we fantasize, just like burning everything down and starting over, right? I know Mm -hmm. I've been through that many times in my life. And so to answer your question about what I was thinking, I think in the beginning, a lot of it centered around are you just burnt out? Are Mm. you just fantasizing about doing something else? Like, is this real? Because my business was successful. And more important than that, I had something I was really proud of. Mm. I was proud of the team that I built. I liked everyone on the team that I had. I thought that they were incredible individuals with a lot of talent. And so thinking through disbanding the team, um, was really emotional. It was really hard for me to work through that process. And also I built a lot of systems and processes and this whole database and this whole infrastructure in our company that I was so proud of. And I felt a lot of loss about the idea of leaving all that behind. Like I imagine it just being this living, thriving thing that I had accomplished a lot in creating, and then it would just be like left behind in the dirt, right? And not have Mm -hmm. any life after I shut down the agency. So in the beginning, all of that was going through my mind. Like, what are you thinking? Why are you considering this? But the other flip side of that is that I had launched Podcast Ally as a brand and a business coming off of another agency I had right before COVID hit. And I had had the experience of building up a smaller team at that point who I just hired on, starting to build a company. And then when COVID hit, obviously going through quite a lot of economic hardship and then coming back from that with this very rapid growth, I had made some promises to myself in the aftermath of reckoning to that, which were things Mm -hmm. like, um, I'm not going to put the financial security of the team ahead of my own ever again, which is something I did during COVID. And and so that was something I was looking at because when I was starting this process, it was 
looking at the looming recession that we were all talking about that could be coming and just knowing that my industry always got hit. And so I promised myself I'm not putting the financial viability of the company or the team before my own, that we all had to be supported by the company Mm -hmm. in order for it to survive and earn its keep and earn its way. And that was very much at the forefront of my mind. Like, I'm not willing to self-sacrifice again, even though I know I can and I know we can come out stronger on the other side. It just wasn't something I was willing to go through again. And so that was all the mental soup (laughs) a year before I shut down. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Thank you. And I've got a couple of follow-up questions. One is, how did you discern that it wasn't burnout, that it was something else? Because I think that can be, it's really, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm hard pressed to talk to anybody in my life that isn't cooked right now, not because of anything other than it's a lot showing up and being an engaged citizen and human. And if you have a family, engage in your family and your community and folks are feeling it. So how did you know this just wasn't like, I'm just burnt out and I just need to, you know, shut it down, burn it down. How did you come to that clarity that it was something else? Oh, I was definitely burnt out. I I don't want (laughs) to, that that is part of it. Yeah. And actually, I really appreciate that question because I had been battling back burnout for like a year. Like it would kind of creep up and I would take care of myself. And it was like this give and take. And I don't know a lot about like the clinical definitions of burnout, but I've read that it can take a few years of recovery. And so I felt like I was very much in that process. But the other thing with the business that is so important to state up front is that I loved my team and I loved my company and I could take or leave or work. And so as my thought process evolved, one of the things that started coming up for me was, what if you took all this effort and this passion and what you built and what you learned and applied it to something you actually cared about? Not just the people who you employ that you care about, but work that you care about. Because I believe, like I'm on your podcast right now, I really believe that podcasts are an important venue, that PR is very important for businesses. But I got into this work kind of by accident. I stayed in it because I was good at it. And it's not something that I ever felt like, you know, when when business owners talk about their calling or like I have this mission that I'm so connected to, I never felt that way. And so I just started thinking about, well, if you're feeling so burnt out and you're constantly in this push-pull, can you look at this as an experience to bring you to the thing that is going to matter to you? And that, when that happened, that was when I was ready to let go. I mean, it took, I, when we talk about this, it sounds like a short timeline, but that in itself probably took six, eight months to kind of get from the one, the, the fear-based kind of place to the opportunity-based thinking that I that I came to. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I had that thought, that lever switched, I was like, yes, this this is the moment. And sometimes because, you know, I'm in my 40s, I feel like a cliche. Like, here I am in my 40s having that, like, quote, midlife, like, sure. burn it all down and start over with a meaningful. And I, I laugh because we used to place a lot of our clients on those kinds of podcasts and talk about that. So I'm like, oh, I'm such a cliche. But, like, I get it because you have so much more understanding about yourself, your place in the world, some deconstruction that goes on, and it's liberating. Thank you for clarifying that. So – and and. and- 
I'm hearing that the deep love and commitment for your team and what you built, but not invested in what you were offering in your product. And that was that part of the leak? Was that part of the drain that you started noticing or the main realizing, wow, I know how to do this building thing and I love who I've gathered, but I'm I'm done with this work. And what would have been, what would have things looked like if you didn't make the changes that you made? What would that, yeah, what would life look like then? Yeah. And thank you for bringing that back around because to keep the business going, we were at a point where we were very referral based and I had started in the online business space 12, 13 years ago. I have a great reputation and a lot of things were kind of carrying us forward. And what I wasn't doing was going out and marketing. You know, I wasn't emailing my list. I wasn't going on to other podcasts to talk about our work. I wasn't showing up in online communities. I really felt a resistance to being the face of the company or going out and talking to the work we did. And the thing that I would have had to do to keep our company afloat was either do that work myself or hire a full-time marketing person that could you know, spearhead it. And it was so interesting to me to sort of witness this, I know what I need to do. I know how to do it. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, what, what should I do? I, <laughs> I know, I know all the things. And I just couldn't get myself to do that work. And we were in a place where, you know, to maintain the team that we had, we needed more steady leads and the economy was getting tougher. So it was going to require a little bit more marketing. And I just, I couldn't do it. And so if I had kept it, I think the only way forward, which I considered would have been to hire somebody to do that. I used to joke with my team, like, do one of you guys want me to face the company? And none of them wanted it. So I I would have had to confront that because I love the operations and the team, but somebody had to be out there marketing the company. And was it marketing or was it what you were marketing that or both? Or was it both? I think it's definitely the what, because since I shut down, I gave myself a break of, um, let's see, three or four months, I think, where I just allowed myself to take time off. And then at the end of that time, it kind of came to the end because I felt a draw to start writing again. And I thought that was dead. Like I primarily have identified in my life as a writer. My degree is in creative writing. Like that is my passion. And I thought that I had lost that forever because I could not for the last few years bring myself to write. And I think part of it is because for me, the most interesting writing is a form of essay writing or blog writing where I start out with a kind of a question that I want to answer for myself. And through the writing, I discover something. And so talking about, you know, why should you be on podcasts and how is that good for your business? Like that's not exciting or interesting for me to write about and explore, but questions about like you're asking me now, you know, what were you going through when you were shutting down your business? Or what does it mean to bring your values with you to work? Or, you know, all these team leadership questions that I'm starting to tackle now are just so interesting. And I'm finding myself writing almost every single day. Like I'll get up and I'll have breakfast and I'll write like a thousand to 2000 words. (laughs) Wow, Bridget, that's exciting. They're onto something then. So 
There's a couple of things that you also mentioned. You're talking about feeling like a cliche. And I often say, because I hear that a lot from my clients, and I'm like, cliches are cliches for a reason. And I think we often (laughs) mock and shame natural developmental life cycle milestones. And because we're in this world of hyper optimization and overriding and, oh, you're just resisting marketing and you need to go hire this person and do some mindset work and all of that noise is out there and you had something in you, like you are growing and changing. We are living, growing, changing beings. And there's somewhere along the lines that we feel like we've lost permission to do that. And I'm so grateful. That's why I think another thing that struck me is that you made this shift because it takes, I think, more and more courage to do that these days. There's, And the other thing that stood out to me, what you said is that you were not going to sacrifice your needs to help sustain the company or your team. And not in a like you against them or the work, it's whatever we do, it's going to be good for all of us or it's good for none of us. And I think that's also this narrative I hear of, you know, I've, and I've again worked with many people of, I'm not taking a salary, but I feel so good. I'm paying my team or, you know, I just went ahead and stayed up all night and did the work so that my team could do, you know, they're caring for others at a full sacrifice. And I think this is just really good to talk about um, because there is this sense of you owe everyone at the expense of you that's honored, that's respectable, and that's not. It's making everyone sick and it's setting a horrible example too. So I really appreciate you naming that too. I have learned those lessons the hard way. Me too. Um, You know, when COVID hit, there was a time where I said, I'm not going to pay myself so I can keep my team. And I gave um, us until July to sign new business. So that was the context that I was in. And like early July is when we started signing business again and it just grew and took off. But I had gone four months without paying myself anything. And I've never really paid myself back for that. And so the team kept their jobs and their full salaries and didn't have any cuts, but I did. And another thing I've done in this work that is part of the same pattern that you really just made it evident is I used to be really apologetic Mm -hmm. for asking people I employed to do the kinds of work that I didn't enjoy doing myself, Mm -hmm. right? Because I, one, it's like, if I don't like it, well, no one else can, which I've learned is not the case. And, And people are different and you hire people, different personalities and skills and all of that. But I think there's this way sometimes that you can undermine yourself and your leadership by being overly apologetic or not making yes. clear requests. And yes. then your boundaries get trampled. Yeah. And it's a horrible cycle to put yourself in. And, and it creates a really toxic relationship with the people who you're supposed to be managing and leading. And so I think that's I, – I didn't really connect it, but it's part of it, right? That's that I'm going to self-sacrifice where what I've come to is because I don't believe in the exploitation of your team to right. build your own wealth or power either, right? And so – but I think some of us who are attuned that way can be a little ricocheted too far the other direction and it leads to a lot of resentment and deep unhappiness. And so I've had to learn to find this middle ground, where, like you said, where we're all – thriving and surviving together and we're all working together to be whole, I think. Yeah, thank you for that. And so I want to just bring you back and spend a little bit more time on that moment where you said the lever kind of shit flipped, right? How were you feeling at that moment? You're like, 
you admitted that I'm, you're going to close podcast ally, ally. It was clear. And I'm curious for you to share any other conversations with others or yourself that you had that helped you gain that clarity. Oh, God. The first thing that comes to mind is so when we were kind of discussing this, um, my husband, through this process, was also deciding to go back to his former workplace. So he works for a major Fortune 500 company. And he had left that and we'd been traveling full time and he decided he was going to go back to work and we were looking at where we wanted to go. We ended up back in Sacramento and then he decided that he wanted to buy a house. And part of that was we were, you know, a long process. But anyway, we decided we're going to buy a house, which brings up a lot because I live in California and houses here are expensive and it's a huge commitment and taking on a 30-year mortgage when you're in your 40s is terrifying. So there was a lot of conversations with him and with my mom about that, who I talk to my mom every Tuesday. We have a phone date. We go for a walk together. You know, it's our like walk and talk for an hour. And she just kind of was saying something to me about priorities, about how I love to travel. We've been traveling full time for almost three years in a travel trailer. I love to travel and she was worried that if I locked myself down into a mortgage, that I would lose that part of my life. And you know when somebody says something to you that you're like, mm, I don't like you have that resistance immediate. I totally. really felt that when she said that. And I thought about it for quite a while. And I realized that when I thought about my priorities, they changed. I wanted the house. I wanted the travel. Whoa. I want to retire early, which is something else that's always been a, a finance and I don't, th I want to find a way if I can to make them all happen. And I'm going to put my mind to it because I believe big goals in your life don't happen if you don't at least try. You know, we don't always get there. Exactly. But, um, and I have a lot of privilege. Let me just call it. a lot of this is informed by the fact that I have a, a lot of different interlapping privileges in terms of how this family support I have, everything. So I have a, a big safety net to be able to do all these things. Um, so I just want to recognize that's part of this. But you know what wasn't on that list? My company. Mm -hmm. Because my company was built to serve my full-time travel and to support us and sustain us through that lifestyle. But I started to think, well, is Podcast Ally the best way to get all these other things that I want? What if I went to corporate for five years? Could I make more money? What if I did a different kind of work? And I just had this moment of like, Podcast Ally isn't on that list of priorities anymore. It doesn't serve necessarily the next stage of my life the way that I've set it up. It served this nomadic life. And there were a lot of decisions I made running the company that held back our revenue because we were nomadic. And even though I often had to have service, I didn't want to have regular meetings. So there were things that we never offered to people because they might have required more of my scheduled time. Like there were so many decisions I made because the company was built around a certain lifestyle. And I realized that really wasn't going to serve me through the goals that had shifted in my life. Mm. And that was huge. So one thing I always say is like notice when other people's advice just feels like, oh, and really lean into that because that for me is always a really good guy <laughs> with what I want. It's a powerful trailhead when you have that strong reaction and to interrogate it. There's some good data there for sure. And that was so that was a big light bulb then too to go, oh, wait, the the company I built was not for my priorities and the vision I have today. So there was that other piece yeah. too. One other thing that you've been writing about that really stood out to me 
that it feels like is often the hardest thing for folks when they're wanting to make some really big changes in their businesses is your commitment to open communication with your team and your clients while staying connected with everyone about these changes. And I can tell you, some people are scared, like, what if they leave? What if they leave? So I got to just keep it close to to me. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more. What is it that you cultivate that you felt like you could have uh, this open conversation with those that you work with where scarcity didn't jump in and folks didn't peace out on you? Oh, this was hard. This was hard because I think every narrative and example we have is about keeping these things close to the vest. You know, when you're a CEO and you want to make changes, you don't talk to your team until the decision is done and you you know all the ramifications. And one of the things that was really helpful for me at the time is that when I started thinking through these questions, I don't know what I'm going to do with the company. I need time to figure out something is probably going to change. I was going through the Daring Leadership program. So Brene Brown's Daring Leadership. And I was doing that with Nicole Lewis-Keeper. She was running a group who I know you're familiar with. And that was like a helpful framework for me because there's a lot of modules and training there about the values you bring to your work, how to communicate with your team. And so having that framework, it was just coincidental that it was all happening at the time, but it was so incredibly useful. Because one of the things that you had mentioned in the beginning, which really means a lot to me, is that I'm a person of integrity. And it means a lot to me because it's my number one core value is to be in integrity with my own values and and the ways that I show up. And so when I think about what that meant for me, one of the things I believe very strongly is that there's this way that we approach work that sort of infantilizes our teams Mm. and treats them not like fully autonomous adults with agency and ownership and leadership over their own lives. So we tend to do these really weird micromanaging things about the decision making that people can make in their lives. Like I have a friend recently who was texting us because She works for a company and they were having their annual retreat down the street from her house. And her boss told her that she couldn't sleep in her own home. She had to sleep in the hotel down five minutes down the road. It's like, you are not my owner. You don't get to decide what I do in my off time as long as I'm showing up for the things that are expected with me and we're laying out expectations. And so that's something is a deeply held belief. So when I thought about what I needed to do with my team, I realized that my first obligation was to give them the information they needed to make decisions for themselves about whether they wanted to stay and or go when I was making this decision. And I think that we need to normalize the idea that people are going to come and go from our companies mm-hmm. and that people are allowed to leave and that it's not necessarily bad. Like I've had people leave my company for these amazing opportunities and I just feel so privileged that they ever chose to work with me. Um Everyone who works with me, I feel that way. It's a privilege that they're giving you their time, their labor, their effort, their intelligence. And so if you look at it that way and not a right, then I think we owe them the information to make those decisions in their lives. So that was something for me that I decided very early on that I I owed it to myself and to them to bring them into the conversation. But on the flip side, I've also learned a lot about not oversharing, right, and like not overburdening people with everything going on in your mind. And as an extrovert who externally processes, this has been a really important lesson for me. 
I'm raising my hand right now. Yeah. In solidarity. Yeah. I can definitely overshare. So I wanted to strike a balance. So what, what I decided early on was that, you know, this whole process started because I saw a recession coming. I knew what that would mean for our industry. And so it just started there. I said, I don't have to tell them everything going in my mind, but I'm going to tell them, like, here's what I'm seeing with the economy. Things are probably going to get hard. And by the way, let's talk about what that means. What can we do as a team? What, you know, and we came up with actually our most profitable offer that was really successful through those conversations um, that probably kept us going a lot longer than I would have otherwise because it was so fun and great to see them come together and create that. Um, and as my time and decision making went on, I just let out more information and try to be really transparent about where things were and where I was as I was kind of coming to the decision until we got about six weeks out from when I was like, okay, I'm closing. And that's when I was like, okay, I know now I have to tell everyone. But it was a multi-month, you know, eight months of communication leading up to that, knowing full well that people could decide to leave at any time through that process and just having to accept it. And did you have a a mass exodus or any one key leave? And if not, why do you think people stayed? We had one person leave and she left to get a, let's see, I think her title is Director of Development for South America for the Nature Conservancy. No. So she left for a very big and important job. <laughs> um, so we were very happy for her. And everyone else stayed. And I think they stayed for a few reasons. Um, one is because I pay a good wage compared to our competitors. So I think for a lot of people, it was worthwhile to stay with a company while the company existed because they made more working with me than they would with, I think, any of our competitors. And we also had just a great culture and environment. So my folks came in. They... Uh, we had bands, so most people worked part-time. Um, actually, everyone worked part-time at the end. Um, I had had full-timers before, but we had most people part-time. They set their hours. They worked during those hours. And and we got really cool people. Like Santiago on our team was a musician, you know? And so he had time to work with us and, and time to work in his music. Sam does podcast production. He worked with some other podcasts. And so they all had these really full lives um, outside of the company. And I think the company enabled them to have that kind of work-life balance that they wanted. Um, and so I think they just, I can't really speak for them now. I wish I knew more, but I think it was really just a, we're enjoying this. And they they all told me at the end, like that <laughs> I never wanted anyone to comfort me. You know, I tried really hard to avoid that, but that's what happened. You know, I had so many people come to me and say, I know you're worried about me. I'm going to be okay. I've been thinking about what I'm going to do next. It's okay. Like, I'm going to be okay. I've been thinking about this. And so I think they just, they had the time to decide what they wanted and make their contingency plans and decided to stick around. Were they comforting you or were they honoring how much you genuinely cared about them and with so they were more respecting you is kind of my sense it wasn't like we got to take care of our that. boss and is she okay and I want her to worry it's more of I know that you care a lot about us and we're good like uh, that feels different to me am I hearing that right yeah 
No, I, I appreciate that. I've really, and I think that's a good clarification, even just for me to internalize because it's, I think that's, that's very true. And I'm still in contact. Like I get WhatsApp messages from folks and I did a lot through the transition because one of the things I really agonized over was like, do I give people severance? But to do that, I would have had to dip into savings. And I had decided that I wasn't going to sacrifice myself for the team. And I really agonized, like, what is the right and ethical thing to do by my team here? And the balance I struck was that I gave them is more notice, so about six weeks of notice, and that I made a commitment to help everyone find projects, so freelance, pro- freelance projects or employment um, to line up. And there's people, the people who wanted to keep working with podcast ally clients or leads on their own are doing so. So we were able to work that out. Mm-hmm. Leading is hard. Leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned with your values, your mission, your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence, clarity, and calm. And navigating the inevitable stages of development, changes, and transitions can also rock your world. Now, I know you don't mind making the hard decisions, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Now, leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is unknown and the doubts and the pains of the past keep showing up to shake things up, along with just those inevitable growing pains of adulting. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism and scarcity at bay and foster a hope that is both actionable and aligned. When the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then Unburdened Leader Coaching is for you and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than you were taught. To start your Unburdened Leader Coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. One of the things I hear a lot from leaders, and I and I I think there's a trope about that's not great, like especially the younger folks are just entitled, you know, and I think, no, they're just tired of, they don't want to be exploited like we've been, you know, and yet I, I think every generation has folks that just want to coast, that want to dial it in and get all the benefits mm-hmm. too. I, I don't think that's a generational thing. I think that's human personality, whatever that may be. But I'm not sensing there was like, as you were like, I want to give them the best thing I possibly can. And what I think is the best is actually something I can't do. I can't do severance. And I'm not sensing that your team had resentment or bitterness or feeling like you owed them. What was going on and what dynamics were contributing to that mutual respect and that mutual understanding? 
I have to believe that on their end, it was that transparency, mm-hmm. not being blindsided. Yeah. Right. And so everyone was able to think through what that would mean for them, what they wanted to do. They all could have left, right? <laughs> um, and they had all decided to stay. Like it wasn't just like they were tricked into staying because because I didn't share the information with them. And I, I think that that was a big part of it for them. Um, I would think the other piece is just that I'm trying to find the word. I want to say we have like this respectful environment, but we have this environment in which I took a lot of care to name and call out everyone's like very positive contributions and attributes. Mm. And so one of the things I really believe in that contributor culture is that you should um, give praise publicly and give correction privately. Mm -hmm. And so I was consistently in individually, but also in our team meetings, you know, having this culture of recognition and recognizing people's very specific talents And so reinforcing that with them, like what it was that they had that was really special for the team. And the reason I think this contributes to the ending is because that praise and reinforcement about you might take this talent for granted. And I want everyone to know how special this is. I want you to know that even though you take this for granted, like I'll talk about Sam on our team. Sam is one of those people Oh, my God, the way that he would accept feedback and learn from feedback and really strive to kind of understand, like, okay, what's the framework that we need to be making decisions by? Um, Why are we making the decisions? Like, he had what you would call a real growth mindset, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was consistently like, Sam, no matter what you do, no matter where you go in your career, this is always going to serve you well. And so I think when you have that, belief and knowledge and your own strengths, it helps you envision, okay, what can I do with this? Rather than feeling like beaten down, you have that feeling of like, there's something that I have that is special that I can bring Mm. to my work and a feeling of of optimism. So I would hope that that was a a big piece of it. And then the respect on my part, (laughs) it's, it's so hard to talk about this without getting so emotional. Like our group was special, Rebecca. It was like, I love to brag on them. I never once had to follow up on a deadline mm. in two years. Everything got done. Um, there was never – we. I, I did hire a person that I had to let go, I guess, in that time frame. But the team that was with me at the end, you know, n- nothing was ever dropped. Everything got done. Um, there was no drama or pettiness on our team. Everyone got along really well. There was a dynamic that had been forming at the end, which made me so proud, which is that folks started going to each other for advice and for help and not just for me, which we were a fully remote team, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, it helped that some people knew each other beforehand and were like local to each other. But we, I also did a lot of work to, again, point people's strengths out and connect them and make sure they all know, like, who's the best at this thing that you can go to? And one of the things that had happened too well leading up to this decision is that I had really started turning to the people that were working for me more as like my mastermind. So, you know, any of your like self-organized business mastermind and you're like, oh, this is what's happening. What should we do? I was, I had started to organize like work groups. So here's some questions I want us to work on. Who wants to sign up for a work group, come together with some recommendations, or we have this process, or this is what's happening in the industry. 
what do you guys think? What are you seeing? And I was really going to them more and more for the insights with working with the clients because I wasn't working with clients. They were. And watching everyone blossom and hearing their contributions and the way that they were thinking about our clients and our industry and how we could approach the work was like so intensely rewarding mm. for me to see them grow into that space. Um, I just cared for all of them so much and thought they were all so talented. <laughs> well, I think, and I think transparency, um, public recognition, validation, appreciation, um, that was genuine, not just a dial it in certificate employee of the month thing, whatever. Those things go far in any relationship, but I still am curious about how you gathered these individuals on your team. What, when you were hiring, when you wrote job descriptions, when you interviewed them, when you look back on that, what are some of the things that you did that really helped build the quality of people that led to this kind of community? Two things come to mind when you ask that question. So we had a hiring process where there was, you know, people filled out an application and had some questions. I asked them to put in an example of a pitch. They had a short screen with me or sometimes my husband who worked at the company. And then they were asked to do an exercise. And then there was a follow-up longer call with me. And through that process, there were two tests that I built in that were sort of cultural matches. And one is that when I gave them the assignment to do the writing assignment, you know, I would say, this is going to typically take you, I can't remember how long, let's say an hour. You know, this project I expect to take you about an hour. Um, I don't expect it to be perfect because a lot of people were coming from like podcast production to pitching, right? So it was kind of a career change. So I'm like, I understand that you might need some training when you come in. I just want to see how you approach these questions and these problems. Um, so it's just to get me to understand how you think. So I know that you might have another job, other obligations. So let me know when, once you get it, take, take a look and let me know when you'll send it back to me. Test number one, could they set a personal deadline and stick to it? If they couldn't, they were out. You are not getting my, hired at my company if you cannot take responsibility for setting realistic deadlines and for meeting them. And that's something I really reinforced, too, when people came in the company. So we had an experience where there was like kind of a false emergency and somebody on our team reached out to somebody else and was like, I need your help with this in X amount of hours. And I was like, excuse me, they're not working these hours. We do not ask people to work outside of our work hours unless it is a real emergency, which I can think of two times that ever happened. You can't ask your team members to do that. You can't treat them that way. So it's something I reinforced once they were inside, like setting reasonable deadlines with ourselves, with our clients and sticking to them. Mm -hmm. Because on the flip side, if you set something unrealistic, I don't care what it took, you were gonna set, you were gonna keep it because you're the one who set it. I wasn't gonna scramble and fix that for you. So it's something that I did in the interview process that we mirrored once they were in. So that's the first thing. Testing that people could hold themselves accountable. And then the second thing is that when they did their assignment, that first call with me afterwards, we went through it together, <laughs> which, wow. Can you imagine interviewing for a job, having to do a test, and then having the person who's potentially going to hire you walk you through that assignment? Like, 
the people I hire to be able to go through that (laughs) and have those conversations with me, like that's special on its own. But what I wanted to make sure was that the people that I brought into the company could handle feedback because we had a culture of feedback Mm -hmm. and we had a culture of continual improvement. And so, and the questions were like, so tell me how you approach this. There were two sections. Did you do them in order? Uh, You know, it's like a lot of like process-based questions or why did you do this? Or why do you make that decision? So I got to know how they approach problems, but really I just wanted to see could they have those conversations in a non-defensive way? Like I know a lot of emotions are going to come up and I would find something to critique and see how they would take it. Um, And then when we went through it, I would tell them. So I'd say, look, one of the reasons we did this is because we do have a culture of continual improvement and feedback in our company. You should expect that when I hire you, you're going to get feedback on your work, especially for the first six months that is not an environment that everyone wants to work in. And so if you don't want that, that's fine. You should opt out of this process. And if you do, let's keep talking. So just looking for that for people that could have those conversations um, in the interview process was huge. I suspect you probably had a lot of people self-select out of the interview process based on one or both of those two. And they're like, oh, it's too much. They couldn't, they, they couldn't handle that possibility of getting any kind of feedback that wasn't positive, right? So um, yeah, that's wonderful. So one thing that you noted, another thing that you noted, I should say in kind of your emails, talk kind of debriefing where you've been and where you're going is you got feedback from your team that you noticed they were thanking you for creating a quote drama-free workplace. There's something about that that also started to feel and point you in your new direction, where you're going. In addition to your hiring practices that you just shared, is there anything else? And that sounds like the values and the boundaries, you know, paying people well. Is there anything else that you want to add that you that you did with Podcast Ally that contributed to a drama-free workplace? It tickles me that you like called that out and noticed it because when that feedback was given to me, it surprised me. But my background and what when I built Podcast Ally had been coming from other PR agencies, which are often very dysfunctional and toxic. Totally. totally. Yeah. So like I literally was like, our model is going to be the opposite of that. But it never really occurred to me that the opposite of toxic would be like productive, right? Um, and so a couple of things that I want to call it. So I mentioned this one, so I won't belabor it, which is praising in public and correcting in private. And I'll just say, like, I had a boss who would never Mm. call you out individually, but she'd come to the staff meeting and talk generally about things people were doing that were annoying her. And it's so bad because the people on your team were, like, the most responsible or the ones who are going to feel the worst. And the people who are doing the problem are just, like, do-do-do-do-do, unbothered. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I always thought that was really important that you want to give a lot of public praise, but you also can't back away from addressing those issues and having those hard conversations with people. And so you've got to do both, right? You've got to do both. Another thing that hasn't come up yet is that um, our work was like very public in a way that's not common. So we have a media database where we would log and track all the work that we were doing. And all of the pitches actually came from one inbox. And so there was no like hoarding of this is my relationship. This is what I do. We were always looking at 
what were the best pitches, what's working and sharing. And you could see there was like visibility into everyone's work. Hmm. And I think about that because like, if I had been in my 20s working environment like that, I probably would have had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> like, to just feel like my work was so public. But it also contributed this feeling of like, it's expected that we're going to learn and grow and that things in the market are going to change. And we're going to have lots of open, judgment-free conversations about what's working, what's not working. Like, you did this interview with Charlie Gilkey about his book. And he talked about, you were talking about like staff meetings. And he talked about like, sometimes you do things to set a tone in a meeting, but you don't need them forever. I'm like, oh my God, we did that. Like we used to do this thing um, early on in our staff meetings where we would call out like, what's one thing that went really well this week and a challenge that you need. And is there anyone on the team that you'd like to thank for their help this week? And, you know, after a few months we dropped it because it, it started to get kind of repetitive. But it was so nice because it made it really normal to air out the things that people are struggling with and also to give each other recognition for their help. And so mm. I just think that it's like all of these elements kind of come together where feedback is normalized and not a problem and helping each other is normalized and not a problem where hopefully you gain a lot of trust that then if you do need help, you're not going to be criticized for it. I think that all really contributes because then you don't have this competitiveness where you have to push somebody down yeah. to bring yourself up. I was just thinking about that. So it's another level of transparency that you cultivated with the kind of the yeah. one email piece, but it was tolerable enough. It was, and I, I try not to use the word safe enough, but it was tolerable, safe enough that they could dare to do that because they knew they'd be just encouraged um, to be better if they made a mistake. It wasn't about shame. And so shame isn't a part of your leadership or your culture. Those public call-outs, we remember those. We remember those back to when we were a kid. They, they stay with us. Yeah. And so that's 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 really powerful. I have a mantra at work where I was always like, if there's a problem, it's a system failure, not a people failure. Ooh. I believe that deep in my core that people want to do good work. It like it is the environment. Like if people are showing up and not doing great work, I think it's the environment, it's the culture around them, or often it's the systems you've set up in your business that have incentives set up that aren't actually helping people. I'll give you an example. In our company, like a, a really easy way to fail would be you know, if a client doesn't know about an interview and doesn't show up and if somebody's job is to like help them keep on track and help them remember and that doesn't happen, we look at like, OK, what do we do to remedy this situation? And we deal with that immediately. And this has happened, you know, early on in my company before I fixed our systems. So it'd be like, let's deal with that, take accountability with the client. And then we would have a postmortem of like, where did the system let you down? Why wasn't it easier for you to make this happen? Is there something that we should be building out? Where did the system let you down? Mm -hmm. I think that we could ask that question in so many different arenas instead of where did I let you down or where did you let you down or where did you let your team member down? It's where did the system? I, I just mm -hmm. love that so much. That's yeah. Thank you for naming that. I want to shift a little bit more to something else, like you said, these emails have been so dense of good stuff that got my brain going. So you talked about the difference between your passion and what you're good at and sometimes how they get conflated 
And in this process of figuring out, oh, wow, like what you created, the team you created, the systems you created, amazing, but you weren't excited about the work and it wasn't supporting your updated values and priorities. You also discovered kind of this interesting differentiation and maybe a conflation. So what is your relationship with what you love to do and what you're good at? And when have you confused the both and when are they kind of the same? I think the confusion comes in when what you're good at gives you satisfaction or the ego boost, right? Mm. Where you can be tricked into thinking that you're loving what you're doing because you're loving the results. You're loving the recognition or the feeling of accomplishment. At least me, like I really value other people perceiving me as intelligent. It's something that's just, you know, it is what it is. And so when I do something and I get that kind of feedback, oh, you're so smart. I can't, no one's ever put, oh, I just, oh, I just, I eat it up. It's like, but it's like dessert. It's short lived. You know, you will have an Mm. energy crash after the fact or like the doing of the work isn't filling you up and giving you the energy. It's like the praise that you're getting after you've done it and and it's in public or the result is happening. And so for me, that's how I kind of distinguish that. Like, am I hooked on the praise or am I enjoying the process? Whereas when I think about the work that I love, I'll be do-do-do-do-do all by myself and I'll say out loud to myself because extrovert, God, I just wish I could do this all day. (laughs) You know, I just wish this were the only thing I'm doing. And you feel like you can just get lost in it for hours and your energy isn't flagging and you just feel like the more you're doing, the more that itself is feeding you. So for me, that's how I can tell the difference when my ego is hooking me in versus when I'm truly, I guess, intrinsically motivated to to do something and that I love it. Yeah. And I I mean, I think, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about how sometimes you just have to eat a shit sandwich, you know, in your work of just sometimes <laughs> do things that we don't want to do or that maybe we're good at, but it isn't our passion or, you know, however, yeah. I, and sometimes that's just reality. Um, yeah. But I, I like for where you're at now, then what are you discovering what you love to do and how is that different from what you have been good at and maybe what you're known for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the things that I love to do were built into my work, but they weren't the focus of my work. So in that way, it was hard because I am I was getting a lot of it. And I think that feeling of like, I could have just kept on that way, maybe kept me from making this change sooner or feeling like I have yeah. expertise in this one area and you're not even God, preparing to talk to you today and looking at your guests and thinking, who are you? You know, but I'm like, well, she's just going to ask you about your experience. It's okay. <laughs> you know, but it's like, who are you to speak on these things with your limited experience and worldview? But the work that I love is I love working on those systems. So when I say, what's the systems failure, it really helps that I like getting an answer and then going to fix it. Right. I just like, I loved putting together automations and structures in our company that made it possible for our team to be more creative. That's what I saw my primary role was, is clearing the path for them to do their best work. And I also love grappling with these questions of leadership. And I you know, I find myself listening to a lot of podcasts about the nature of work and 
labor theory, monetary theory, on all these different structures and systems we're in. And I just find myself so captivated by these questions and ideas. And I'm like, this is just, this is the area that I want to contribute to and and see if if I can participate in. So that's what I'm mm. trying to do. I appreciate that. And 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 the I don't know if it's my therapist parts or my leadership coach parts or both of them want to say who you are to talk on these issues is a person of integrity with depth mm-hmm. and experience and heart, someone I trust, someone with lived experience that's doing something that is not being done. There are mm-hmm. so many books and theories and studies done on how to lead teams and they still I still am working with people that are struggling or on in such toxic situations. So you are a thought leader in this space. You are someone who genuinely cares. And so, yeah, you're someone who is open to coming on, having a conversation without it all figured out. So you're a courageous person. So that's how well, who I see you as. And I just think that's important to name because I think when we're in those times of change and transition and we're shaking up the snow globe, getting moving away from the things that give us that certainty anchor of I'm okay, I'm safe. It's important to remember who we are and those things that maybe the world doesn't always acknowledge and the things often that we are passionate about or not even passionate, but really love to do and give us another sense of meaning maybe aren't the things that the world knows us for. And that can be Mm -hmm. scary to move away from that. And having done that multiple times in my life and be like, what now? So I just wanted to make sure I named that um, to, you know, that part, especially the women internalize that. And so I think it's just important to to speak back to those doubts and to <laughs> say I'm really glad that you are speaking to them here. So as we're winding down this conversation, I'd love for you to talk about kind of your understanding of success and how that's changed since you were younger. I come from a family that is very well educated, very accomplished. You know, like on on one side of my family, we have my grandfather was a dentist. He and my grandma ran a, a business together. My mom is this like ER nurse who has all these like really cool certifications and stories. And she was a ballet dancer when she was younger and played cello and just like all, you know, all the stories. And then on my other side of my family, my husband likes to joke that like my family has more PhDs than his family has like undergraduate degrees in it, you know? And I just, (laughs) it's really intimidating. And they're all outdoorsy and athletic. And like, you know, I, I just really think there's a part of me that success was tied up in being the kind of person that my parents or my grandparents could talk about to their friends and, you know, mm. in a way of like, look what Bridget's doing. And that was often really tied into getting promotions uh, when I was in a career or proving to them that my business was successful. I think I spent a lot of energy on that. And so a lot of the success was tied up in in that. And then there's a part of it with my marriage. Um for sure, which is maybe a completely different conversation. But my parents also have quite a few divorces between them and just, you know, having this long-term marriage. And to me, that actually still holds having like that love in my life. And I think that that's a way that things are changing where one of the things I'm really deconstructing 
in my life is this feeling that, you know, I, I was not put on this earth to labor, that that is not the meaning of life, is not being a productive worker. And that when I look at what I want out of life or how my days are structured, that maybe work doesn't have to get the best part of you. Like I recently had this experience, well, not that recent, but it's really stuck with me of like reading a productivity book and everything was really based on you should rest, you should play so that you show up as your best self at work. And I just started thinking, why? Why does my work get the best of me and not my husband or my family? And then revolutionary, radically, or me. Why don't I just get to have pleasure for myself? Or like, like I love to read and like curl up all day reading. And I had this thought of like, 10-year-old Bridget would be so thrilled that you spend so much of your adult life reading. And yet I feel deep shame for the laziness of lying around and I will read a whole book in a day and I feel guilty about it. And I'm like, but that is like the best possible life I could have imagined for myself as a child. And so that's what I'm really deconstructing is a deep fear of being lazy and understanding what that means and where that's coming from and why I should feel that way. And and who cares if you're being productive, if, if you're if you're happy and filled with joy. So I don't know what my definition is now, but I I think I know what it's not. (laughs) All right. Before you go, I've got some quick fire questions that I often ask guests at the end of shows. So speaking of reading, Bridget, what are you reading right now? Yes, I am reading all things escapism. I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction. And (laughs) some of those books are really bad because I get all my books at the library and they're free. But One of the best books I've read lately is this novel. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And it's about these two friends who are video game developers. And I'm also like a big gamer. So like that really tickles, you know, all my nerdy passions. But it is just this like the most lovely, beautiful book about friendship. Um, I do have to give a content warning. There is like partner abuse is one of the themes in the book, Mm. one of the characters. And so if you're can't read that like you probably don't want to read this book it's not it's it's a device in the book so it does happen um but the book is just beautiful and sad and wonderful and i i loved it i recommend it thank you thank you for that rec what song are you playing on repeat i have been listening to a lot of janelle Monet lately um oh. and i i love her song yoga so much this song is like ridiculous but like i cannot stop listening to it so <laughs> scratches at it. <laughs> and, and if I recall correctly, you're also a certified yoga instructor, correct? Based, uh, is that the right title? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. But her books, if you haven't heard that, they're like such a vibe. Like a lot of her music, I think is very inspired by Prince. It's just very nice to listen to. It's so fun. good. What is the best TV show or movie that you've seen recently? I'm not a big TV and movie person, but I did see the Barbie movie in the theater with a friend of mine. And it was so nice to see a movie that actually like reflects the female experience and has female references. And it was just so fun and wonderful. What is your favorite piece of 80s pop culture? Well, I'm a nerd, so Star Wars. A thousand percent. Okay. Check and check. (laughs) What is (laughs) enough said? What is your mantra right now? 
Uh, I already said it. You weren't put on this earth to labor. There we go. Wow. Repeating that to myself, like on the daily. And what is an unpopular opinion you hold? Maybe that's your mantra. (laughs) Well, it's related. I have a lot of unpopular opinions, but I would say the strongest that I think shouldn't be unpopular, but is, is that every job should pay a living wage. And uh, it's the social contract. If we show up to work for 40 hours or whatever the agreed upon work week is, 32 hours, we should be paid enough to live and get by. And if you're not paid enough by a company, then the taxpayers are picking up that burden for those companies and organizations anyway. Like every job should pay a living wage. And if your job can't, then I hate to say this because I know a lot of people listening to this are going to be mad. I might have been mad. Is Maybe your company shouldn't exist. Oh, I can't believe I just said that aloud. Can we add it? No, like we're going to keep it in. We're going to keep it in. And then I quote to you, the founder. I mean, I get you've got to sacrifice sometimes, to, but there's a point, right? You should define this yep. for yourself when that point is. I, I really appreciate you naming that. And who or what inspires you to be a better leader and human? Oh my God, this is so cheesy, but I'm going to say my husband. So Lucas, like I said, works for a Fortune 500 company. And before he left the first time, he was named by his team. Like he had like the highest employee satisfaction in almost the entire company. And they don't provide a lot of leadership training. He's gone out and done a lot of work to self-educate himself when he got promoted. You know, he was like a worker and then promoted up and had to do a lot. And when I was running the company, we would go for these with him out in the desert, you know, while he wasn't working, we'd go on these long walks and talk through things. And well, this is why you would do it, but why would you do it that way? And I've learned a lot from him. Bridget, where can people find you so they can stay connected to what you are working on and where you're going? the worst podcast guest. I would yell at my clients, but you know, because I'm in transition, I don't have like a new home yet. Um, podcast Ally is actually being sold. So I've accepted an offer, but for now I'm still writing emails. I know this just happened this week. Um, obviously, oh, congratulations. Do the due diligence. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, but for now I'm writing emails on our, so if you go to podcastally.com on the blog and sign up there, you can get them. Or I've been cross posting them to LinkedIn and I'll probably sign up for like a Substack or something or revamp my old website eventually. But right now I'm just trying to keep things as low pressure as I can. So probably LinkedIn for Bridget Lyons or the Podcast Ally site. I'll keep us posted as more sites uh, come up. Uh, we can contact you. We'll make sure to link it to stay connected with you and all that you're working on. Bridget, thank you for taking the time to come on today. I really appreciate it. I know Many people are going to get a lot out of hearing your story and your wisdom. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. I appreciate everything you're doing here. Before you go, I want to make sure you take with you some important learnings from this Unburdened Leader podcast conversation with Bridget Lyons. I appreciated so much of this conversation and most importantly, how she took the space and time to make her decision to close down and eventually sell her business. Like, like to make sure like do is this like a burn it down thing I just want to is there something going with me or do I really need to make a change and sat with those hard questions and in that process she was open with her team which was incredible to me her commitment to not sacrifice her well-being for the well-being of her team and her business stands out to me also as I know so many 
do the opposite. And it was so clear how Bridget's systems, values, and ethics that were already in place led to her transparency with the team so scarcity and fear did not take over when she needed to make a big change with her work and her life. Bridget offered a beautiful case study for us on how to move through the normal stages of development in our life and our business without sacrificing our well-being and our values. The call for us is to stay clear on our values, to make sure we have solid systems and practices in place when the times are good, which will help us move through the normal crises and stress of inevitable changes in our developmental life cycle of our own lives and in the businesses and spaces we lead. And this is the ongoing work of an unburdened leader. Thank you so much for joining this episode of the Unburdened Leader. You can find this episode, show notes, and free Unburdened Leader resources along with ways to work with me and sign up for our weekly email at www.rebeccaching.com. And just another plug, if this episode was impactful to you, I'd be honored if you left a rating, a review, and shared it with some folks who you think would benefit from it. And a special thanks to the team at Yellow House Media who produced this episode.